I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, episode 61, Gen Con 2012 Alderac Entertainment Group Interviews. You're listening to Strange Assembly, a podcast about board games, card games, and role-playing games, with an extra emphasis on the Legend of the Five Rings universe. Check us out at strangeassembly.com, and remember, never stop gaming. This is Strange Assembly from Gen Con 2012. I'm Chris Stevenson, and I'm here today with Todd Rowland from Alderac Entertainment Group. We are going to talk about Nightfall, we are going to talk about Tempest, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be able to stop Todd from talking about Smash Up. No, it'll probably be the first thing I jump on. So, Why don't you jump on that? Smash Up sure. is AEG's big new thing at Gen Con this year? Yes, Smash Up is our big release. It's our headline release. Uh, we've been building up to it, and we're very excited to have it at the booth and to let people have their first chance to get a hold of it today. So Smash Up describes itself as a shuffle-building game of total awesomeness. What is a shuffle-building game? Well, a shuffle-building game, quite simply, is a game where you have different decks that have a different mechanical focus. So, for instance, the zombies are recursion. They keep coming back from the graveyard. The wizards are all about card draw. The dinosaurs are just big creatures, and so you'll take any two of those at the beginning of the game in a draft or whatever format your players agree upon. You pick two of them, you shuffle them together, and there you have a 40-card deck. Now, that's the extent of the shuffle-building part, but (laughs) that sets up the total awesomeness part, which is actually playing the game. As you can see, when you have all these different mechanics, when you shuffle them together, you end up with very distinct decks. So, for instance, if you put pirates who are all about movement, With dinosaurs, you end up with big creatures that can move from base to base, whereas if you put dinosaurs with zombies, you end up with big creatures that keep coming back from the graveyard. So you can kind of find a deck that you like to play or experiment and see what you end up with with the different ones. Yes, I've played a few times, and and wizards seem to be popular. (laughs) Wizards are, are an accelerant, right? They're really good, but you have to kind of rely on what your other side is doing, too. And if your opponent can have a way to uh, deflect the other half of that deck, then the Wizards kind of have a hard time only because, in general, they have less strength than most groups. And they rely on who they're paired with a lot more than other groups do. Yeah, it seemed like each of the factions had a, a big Lord Keystone guy, and the, the Wizards was relatively low power, but had a really awesome ability. Exactly, yeah. The, uh, the Archmage is only a four. The average for most of the the head guy, the unique guy out of each group is a five. The wizard one was only a four, but his ability to play an extra action every single turn is actually quite good. <laughs> yes, yeah, and then the the T-Rex for the dinosaurs. Now, I have a child, but he is small, so how long do you think I have to wait until I can show him how awesome a laser tops is? Well, my kids are both four and six, and they were actually the inspiration for the lasers being attached to dinosaurs. Actually, I gave them credit in the rule book because uh, they said that the dinosaurs needed lasers, and so we we hooked them all up and put all sorts of augments all over them and made them just even more awesome than they would have normally been. Now, when I opened up the packaging in Smash Up, I saw that there are 
eight faction decks, but probably room for about 36 or so in here. So, uh, how quickly are we going to get drowned in uh, Dominion level <laughs> well, expansions? Actually, we're going to try to keep Smash Up at a not quite a fast pace. One thing that we're, we're looking at doing at AEG is that now that we have several thriving game lines with Thunderstone and Smash Up coming out now, which we hope, of course, will be thriving, and Nightfall and things like that, we're not in a position where we need to put out expansions quite so quickly for every line, because now we have multiple lines that will be able to put out product for us every so often, and we're going to try to extend our development times between expansions across all the lines, and we're getting to that point, especially as Tempest and some others that we'll talk about are coming out. Those will also, if they do well, will help get in that. But we do know that people are going to be excited about Smash Up. They're going to want more Smash Up if, you know, if it takes off. So we do have a, a single expansion in the works, which we're aiming for December, January time frame. Uh, we're hoping for December. And it's a small expansion. It just has four new groups. And the idea being that you buy it, you take that box, you take those four out, throw the box away, put them in this box. And so this box should be able to hold several more expansions as we keep going. Yeah, I, I do appreciate with my Thunderstone and my Nightfall that I can just put it all <laughs> in in one box. Well, of the eight factions in here, which one is your favorite? It's hard to decide. I honestly... Okay, so visually, uh, I love the aliens. I just... I, I, I love how the art turned out on the aliens. I think they're hilarious. But when I play... Everyone at the office, I've never paid attention to it, but everyone at the office says that I tend to gravitate toward the dinosaurs. I like putting the <laughs> dinosaurs with the other groups just to see what happens with them. There's just this visceral thrill of being able to throw down the T-Rex and then play a rampage and take a base with two cards. You know, he just smashes the whole thing by himself. And, that, and then, of course, you have to wait probably the whole game for that to happen again, but <laughs> it's fun. And that's one thing we've noticed with Smash Up, you know, especially we're talking about the Wizards, too. Yeah, the Wizards get to draw a lot of cards and do some crazy combo, but Wizards tend to run really, really hot and then really, really cold because your whole hand is gone, and then you have to wait and get it rebuilt, and then you explode again, and then you wait. If you combine Wizards with robots, then you can really empty your hand pretty Exactly, exactly. Now, out of the factions in here, I I was a little bit surprised to see Tricksters. How did something with a Leprechaun as its <laughs> signature card make it into the, the top eight factions? Well, we wanted to do, from the very beginning, you know, we knew Smash Up was going to be combining weird, random other stuff. And I think of all of the tropes that are in here, the Tricksters are probably the most random. Originally, the designer, I think he had them down as fey creatures. And then we decided, let's make them a, a, just a little more menacing so that they can take on. So, like, the Garden Gnome has his little knife, if you look for it, and stuff like that. Again, we sort of just put them in for laughs, in a way, because that's kind of what Smash Up is supposed to be about. Our expansion that's coming actually has killer plants, so, like, Little Shop of Horrors and Audrey and all that. <laughs> their theme, their mechanical theme is all overgrowth. Like, they're going to keep making more of themselves and getting more of themselves out of the deck, and if you don't deal with them fast enough, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. We have Ghosts. The ghosts are really fascinating because the ghosts bend most people's expectations of a card game because you've played many a card game, of course. <laughs> what is the best thing you can have in a card game? And for most people, the answer is get more cards. I, I want to draw cards. I want more cards. The ghosts are the polar opposite. The less cards you have in your hand, even down to none in your hand, the more amazing the ghosts become. And most people look at them, and even we've had playtesters look at them and think, oh, these are garbage, you know, I can't have two cards in my hand. And once they start playing them, they realize how incredible 
some some of the stuff is. Um, and then the other two are the steampunks. And the steampunks augment bases. So, like, they're going to set up a tram between one base and another so they can move <laughs> their people back and forth. Or they're going to have an escape hatch on one. So if you try to kill them, ooh, I got away, you know. And then finally, our last one is bear cavalry, which people who follow internet jokes will know the bear cavalry. Well, this is a whole faction of them. And their concept is fear. So when you play one of them onto a base, they chase away the other people there. So I'm going to play here, and you have to move one of your guys away. Yes, there's Bear Cavalry and Risk Legacy, isn't there? If there are, that's a funny coinky-dink. So let's let's assume, for the sake of argument, that I'm incredibly lame, and I don't follow internet memes. (laughs) What mechanically is the biggest draw about Smash Up? Well, the biggest draw about Smash Up mechanically is the experimentation, right? You have, even in just the base set, you have eight groups, and I'm trying to remember my math offhand. I think that gives you 24, somewhere between 24 and 32 combinations uh, that you can make. And the fact is, each one plays completely different. So even if you stripped away all the art, all the names and everything, you would have a deck that is, okay, this deck does recursion, this deck does instant kill. So I'm going to try and combine that and see if that can do better than big power plus movement. And then you'll play them against each other like that. So there's a lot of action. You know, if you have a CCG background, if you have a strong card playing background, there's going to be some intuitive stuff in the game. And the fact that you can pick it up, combine them, play it, get it done, change them up, do it again, is quite the appeal for Smash Up. I understand my limited playing of it. We had at least one situation come up where Rather than trying to win bases, we had two players at 14 and the base out that gives you a victory point every time one of your guys dies there. <laughs> so it was just, let's see who can figure out a way to kill their own guy <laughs> base first. I know, that, that's, that's the thing. There's lots of interesting ways you can find a win, you know, and most people have that sort of light bulb moment. I was playing last night with a retailer who played for the first time and he had drafted aliens and someone else and he played his invader who gets you a victory point every time he's played. And he was bouncing other people's, you know, minions back to their base to try to beat them. And then all of a sudden his eyes just opened because he realized that he could be bouncing his own invader back to his hand and then play it again for another victory point. And that just sort of, oh, wait a minute. You know, and he starts trying to run for the win that way. It's pretty funny to see people. And there was a one retailer last night who I could, you could tell he was a CCG player because he was very much analyzing every card. And he was playing Wizard Zombies. And I came back to the table to check on him to see how they were doing. And his entire discard pile was laid out card by card in piles. He had all of his Tenacious Z's together, all of his walkers <laughs> together, all of his summons together, laid out in order so that he could see his entire discard pile at all times because he was playing zombies, right? And he needed to know what he could get. I thought that was just really, really funny. Do you think Smash Up is best approached as something very lighthearted or something that you know, you sit down and try to heavily analyze in the middle of the game? Or? I think, honestly, it, it's more of a lighthearted game. I mean, it's it's meant for fun. It's meant for laughs. Most of the people we showed it to on the retail side felt like, you know, this is a game that's going to sell to a lot of people because it's going to appeal to the people who aren't heavy gamers. But then once you sit down and start playing it, a lot of the heavy gamers are going to begin to find the combos and begin to see, you know, the strengths that each pair brings and try to optimize for those and see, okay, I need to try to set up this certain situation. And and we've seen a lot of experienced players who will spend their first couple turns doing nothing but drawing cards. They don't even play anything because they're just drawing and drawing, trying to build to some big combo that then they're just going to bust on a base really fast. So 
it's easy enough and and accessible enough for people who just like the light game to play it and have a lot of fun and 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 do some cool things. You know, suddenly a cool combo will happen. You know, and they'll get all excited, and then the experienced players do have the ability to sit and really you know strategize. And the game's very tactical because it changes and moves fast, but they can think about preparing some strategy for the longer term of the game. It's obviously going to be too late for everyone by the time they hear this, but Smash Up, if I understand correctly, is on sale here at Gen Con, and will it be at retailers within? It is on sale at Gen Con. Uh, we were trying to have it at retailers the same time, but the boat did not make it, so it will be at retailers in early September. The MSRP is 30 on it, so it's an easy game to pick up. And you can look forward to the first expansion, which is called Awesome Level 9000, and that will be out uh, hopefully by December, possibly by January. Okay. Now, the next big thing coming out from AG is, uh, I think, Tempest, which is a collection of games that are hitting around Essen. Yes. Tempest is an interesting line for us. We like a lot of different games at AEG, and we like crazy, fun games like Smash Up. We like very thematic games like L5R and Thunderstone and such, but we also you know, enjoy Euro games. And one thing that we wanted to try to do was to inject some of our you know, AEG world and theme building into a Euro game line. So the idea is that it's a series of games, right now open-ended, we have no intention of stopping them, where you have a shared world, that you have in the game, it's based around this fictional city-state and all the ongoings in it. So one game, for instance, there's three that are coming out. One is called Courtier, and it is sort of, we're billing it sort of as the prologue to the story, and it is where you play a, basically an influence broker in the courts. You know the right people to talk to and etc. so you're trying to create deals between nobles and merchants and whatever needs to happen. And at the end of that game, the game ends with a game state where the queen is arrested for treason. When that happens, the whole world begins to shift. You know, the middle class begins to rise. The Senate begins to get more power than the royals. And and then you move into uh, Mercante, which focuses on just the merchant houses. And when I say it focuses on the merchant houses, it's all about buying and selling. And you play one of the merchant houses and you're buying stuff off the ships and trying to make more money. It's got a really cool living economy where there's actually supply and demand and the more a market gets flooded the less money you can make off of it and things like that but then some of the characters from courtier may show up again like some of the nobles may show up and they may have a small role to play like as an event card or you know a certain noble comes to the docks or 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 maybe he's having guests so the price of luxuries goes up for a (laughs) turn right because he's buying up all the all the fancy wine and stuff and so then Following Mercante, we have Dominare, which is sort of the broad stroke game. You see the entire city, and you're part of these conspiracies trying to gain control in the city. Because now that the royals are slipping in power, lots of people are seeing opportunity. And you put together a cabal of you know people from all walks of life, from peasants to clergy to the learned people of the university to the senators and, and other nobles and things like that, that you try to gain more control over the city. And what's neat about the Tempest line is that we created what we call our Tempest Designer Resource, which is basically a great big database online of all the art, all the textures that we use in the game, the background on all the different characters, etc., so that if anyone, whether they be a seasoned game designer or just a new up-and-comer, can log in, get those assets, and create prototypes for new Tempest games that they can then pitch to us, and we'll look at them and see if they're, you know, good to print. 
And the cool thing about it is that the world is kind of wide open. So if any particular part of it interests you, you can make a game about it. You know, you're looking through the characters and you see the little pickpocket boy from Dominare and think, you know, I can make a whole game about him. You know, in his day, you know, his daily life trying to pickpocket and sell what he takes or whatever. And so you sit down and you make a card game about it. Or you may think of a plot, you know, something happening and create a, a game based around those events and involve the different characters. And our main role is just to, you know, publish the ones that are good that we think will add to the game or to the setting, I mean, and to um, ensure that there's some continuity in the characters. So, for instance, if we, in Dominari and, and, Sen- or, uh, Dominari and Cordier, you've seen a particular noble who's just a total jerk. And in each game, he may have different mechanics, but his mechanics always screw the other player. <laughs> We're going to make sure that in the new games you submit, if you use him, that he is screwing the other player. You know, that, that's who he is, right? That way, people begin to know the, get to know the characters, and they begin to have a little intuition on, you know, the new games as they come out and what that they can expect. So have you had anyone use that kit to pitch something to you that you're going to go ahead with? So <laughs> we've far? had a lot, actually, yes. We've had a lot of stuff pitched to us, everything from concepts all the way up to actual prototypes. Some have been rejected, some have been accepted, some are in development. Some of the concept ones have been approved, and we've told them, yeah, make a prototype, send it in. We think this is a cool idea. Two games are actually on their way. One's already on its way to press. And another one is still in the works. I can't actually say much about them yet because sure. I, I don't want to steal Ed's thunder. I will say it's very cool. One of the new designs that, that will be out possibly at the same time as the initial three, we may be able to have it done by Essen, is actually from a Japanese designer from the budding Japanese game design community over there. And it's actually a really cool, simple little card game. And when I say simple, I mean simple, but really addictive and it tells a very neat little snapshot of life in Tempest, which I think is pretty cool. Now, you may have said this, but when we're looking at the artwork for Tempest, I'm picturing Italian Renaissance, sort of? Yeah, I didn't mention that. Yeah, it's it, it's sort of an Italian Renaissance city. It's a fairly cosmopolitan city for the age. There's some people from other nations that live there and have moved in there. It's a very thriving place. There's, of course, a lot of corruption, as comes with any thriving city. There's a, a syndicate of criminals called the Shadow Men, and there's the Templars who try to fight against them. And then there's uh, there's all these different groups. You know, the merchant houses are trying to get rich. The uh, university is trying to discover new things. The church is trying to keep the whole place from going off the rails. The, um, the uh, sorry, I just blanked. Oh, the canal masters actually run the canals because it is a Venetian-style city, so the waterways are, are crucial to daily life, to commerce, to everything, and that's where the canal masters have their power is that they oversee the docks and what gets in and what gets out. And they can actually have, uh, we have a, in the story where they have these big gates that can control the flow of water in the city. So, it, for instance, if a, a big meeting is happening and one conspiracy decides that a certain person should not be at that meeting, the canal masters could get paid off to make sure that the water flow changes and they just can't get through the traffic <laughs> to make it in time to the meeting. So. There's all sorts of things like that that can happen in the games. Now, I imagine that you, I mean, setting aside your role for we're just working for AEG, but you personally have got to be pretty pumped to see Tempest finally get out. I <laughs> remember you having a, an early, I think it was an early version of what ended up as Dominaire in 2008 or 2009 yes. at the Mobile Cote? Yes, it has been many, many years that we've been working on this project, and it was such a big project 
that when things came along like Thunderstone or Nightfall that could be completed and done and out, we ended up getting behind those. And then, of course, Thunderstone took off, so we really got our muscle behind it. And so Tempest kept kind of going on the back burner and back burner. And then when Edward Bolmay joined us, we handed Tempest to him and said, you know, hey, here's where things are. What do you think about this project? And he got to working on it, and he was actually the one who came up with the idea of the designer resource, and he was the one who came up with the idea of, let's just open this thing up. You know, let's just let designers create this world and tell and do storytelling in a new way, where we don't necessarily have a story team and we don't have players telling the story, but we have actual game designers making really cool game designs to tell the story. And since Tempest is more, for lack of a better term, in that Euro game market, solid design and innovative design is what's going to really appeal. And if we combine the the combined world theme, then we kind of hit the best of both worlds. I'm sure that at some point there will be a geek list analyzing all of the Tempest games in terms of how pasted on the theme is or is not. Bingo. I, yeah, you know, there will be. And, and there will be, no doubt, you know, there will be people out there who will look for reasons to trash any game that comes out in that way. And you you can't win them all over, but... You know, there's reasonable buzz on Tempest. We we have had our marketing machine leading up to Gen Con behind Smash Up, right? Because that's our big Smash Up or our big uh, Gen Con release. And now that Gen Con is is happening and and is behind, will be behind us when we return. We're going to gear up our Essen marketing machine and start pushing Tempest really hard. And as well as a secret game release that's not related to any of our current properties that will be out at Essen that we have on press right now. That's uh, sort of the surprise game for that show. Come on, you, you, you can tell me what I the secret game is. You. No one will hear this. No, <laughs> no. We have, we have even gotten to the point, I think we've decided we may not even list it on our website or on Board Game Geek other than the fact that there will be a new game from us there and just sort of let the buzz carry it. <laughs> so. Okay, so you will have Tempest, the, at least the three Tempest games at mm-hmm. Essen, and when could we expect to see those in retailers? Again, our goal is always, just like it was with Gen Con and Smash Up, we wanted to have it in stores the same week as Gen Con. Our goal with, with Tempest, all you know, assuming no problems come along, is to have it in stores the same time as Essen. We, we want people around the world to be able to get it at the same time that the people who make it to the show are, so we are shooting for October. Okay. Obviously, in addition to new games, AEG has existing game lines. I, I will note for anyone who's listening and wondering where Thunderstone is, you can go on the Strange Assembly website and you'll be able to find a separate interview with the Thunderstone brand manager. Mm-hmm. But Nightfall is uh, still alive and kicking. I, I Undead and kicking. <laughs> yeah, furry and kicking, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, whichever they... group rotting and kicking. Now, if... If you've followed, and I don't know why you would have, the, the Strange Assembly reviews of the various Nightfall things, we think it's it's moving in the right directions. We didn't really like the first sure, expansion yeah, of martial yeah. law. We thought that the most recent one, Dark Rages, was with, with the Avatars, was the best one that's come out so far. So where is Nightfall going from there? Yeah, well, you know, Nightfall's been kind of a learning experience, right? Because it was a, it was a very combative deck-building game, which is kind of a weird place in the market to be, but it's one that we wanted to put out. And you know, David Gregg has been really working real hard on the game to take it in new directions and do new things, and I'm I'm happy to hear that that you like the most recent one the best. Well, we have coming up uh, one called Crimson Siege, which is sort of the you know we've done these little three arc three game arcs. So we had the U.S. arc first, and then we had this Euro arc, and so that one will be wrapping up 
the Euro arc, it kind of brings this big siege to the Vatican and all the hunters and Jarek are uh, in there defending it. You know, he's been welcomed into the hunters because they know he's some weird thing of his own. And uh, the vampires and the werewolves are trying to get in to eat everybody and, and they're using the zombies and then the zombies get out of control. It's all, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and the werewolves don't like the vampires anyway. And so it all causes, you know, it, it's just a big mess. And it's very funny because we decided in the story the Vatican would sort of be like a, a bug zapper for vampires, right? They can't help but want to get in there and eat everything, but the moment they get close, it just, you know. Um, so we're going to have that coming out, and then the iOS um, has done really well. It's grown a lot. They just did a $0.99 cent price to introduce martial law, so you can get the base game for $0.99 cents now for a limited time, and then You'll be able to get the martial law expansion very shortly. They're about to submit, and for the folks who are lucky enough to be here at Gen Con, there will be a little iPad kiosk at our booth that will have martial law so they can go up and play against the AI and see all the new feed effects and things like that that have been worked into the electronic version of the game. Oh, I just need my own iPad. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun on an iPad. I had I was playtesting against one of the Playdeck guys the other night. I was at home, and... He pulled some crazy combo on me and got like 16 characters in play in one turn on my chain. And I was like, wow, that was really awesome. I'm going to lose. And I sure did lose pretty badly. <laughs> that's, yeah, 16, that's a lot of guys on on one one chain. I bet Bleak Resurrection was involved. Bleak Resurrection was involved, <laughs> and the one that lets you discard two to draw one as a feed, because <laughs> he was filling his discard pile with uh, guys and then all of a sudden brought them all back. He took 18 wounds to do it, or 16 wounds to do it, but he dealt so many to me on his next attack phase that it was it was irrelevant, you know. So Crimson Siege, to my knowledge, I've Sean Paul Cheyenne, who has been working with us, has been uh, managing that with David Gregg, and uh, I'm not as have not been as intimate with this latest set and what they've been developing, but to my knowledge. I don't believe there are any new mechanics introduced in that one. I think it's just a very solid, you know, addition of new cards, kind of rounds out some of the other cards that have been in play already. And then from there, we're going to decide where we're going to take the camera next around the world on this uh, evil undead world tour that Nightfall <laughs> seems to be on. We've, we've thought about Asia. We've thought about South America. We've thought about, you know, uh, Africa or India, you know, different places that could provide some really neat visual backdrops for that sort of setting and places that don't normally get looked at when it comes to gothic horror and what their local folklore would bring to life in a world like Nightfall. So, Dark Rages wasn't all that long ago. Do you know when Crimson Siege is being aimed? Crimson Siege is being aimed for the early part of 2013, probably around, I, don't quote me because I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but probably around February or March is when you can expect it. Um, look to the AEG site for an official announcement of when it really will be. Okay. Um, but, you weren't, you weren't yeah. kidding about that, taking more time to develop the expansion. Well, thing. we are, you know. I mean, that, that's what, as a game company, you have bills to pay, you have payroll to make, and you have to have a certain amount of money going in and out all the time. And the less games you have, the faster you have to put out more for them to keep that cycle going. And the more games you have in your catalog, the more time you can take, because there's always one filling in that, that gap. And that's the place that we really want to be so that each game can get the most, you know, special treatment and, and uh, most uh, attention that it needs before it comes out. Now, I'm sure you're one of the big things in the gaming industry lately has been Kickstarter. And you mentioned Influence has, I, I don't know if 
uh, you know, I guess Steve Jackson Games has done uh, has done that. So so more established companies have. Has AEG looked at using that model or? Oh yeah, we've definitely looked at it. We've we've done some analysis on it. We've paid attention to which ones do well, which ones don't. Um, there are projects that we that we've thought about that that we might do it from a Kickstarter method. Most of our games, you know, we self fund. We use our profits from one game to fund another, and that gives us a lot of freedom. But Kickstarter is definitely not something we've ruled out. You know, we, we've always thought that if the right project comes along for a Kickstarter that we may consider going that route. But for now, the traditional model seems to be doing pretty well for us. We're, you know, we're in that lucky position to be established and to have the ability to just say, we're going to make this game and not sort of have to hold our breath and wait and see if we can get the money out of everybody to do it. But there are some that we're considering for it, so it's definitely not not something we've ruled out. Okay, we've been sitting here talking to Todd Rowland from Alderac Entertainment Group. You should be able to get Smash Up very shortly after you listen to this, and I'm looking forward to seeing the Tempest line later in the fall. Thanks for sitting down with us, Todd. All right, thank you, Chris. It was fun. This is Strange Assembly, and I'm Chris Stevenson here with Jeff Quick, the brand manager for Thunderstone. It's true. It's true. Thunderstone. Okay. And perhaps you've heard of it. I hope you've heard of it. We've <laughs> certainly talked about it before on the show, and it's a really good game. You have the first Thunderstone Advance or seventh Thunderstone expansion, depending on how you're counting. I think coming out here at Gen Con. Yes. Yes. So uh, the. Internally, we'll call that TS-8, if you ever see us call it. So it's Caverns of Bane, though. For your purposes, Caverns of Bane. And the idea is that it's the continuation of the Thunderstone story, right? So, the, so at the end of the first six sets of Thunderstone, you battled the Heart of Doom, you had collected the eight Thunderstones, you defeated Doom, congratulations, and you discovered that um, you don't defeat ultimate evil, you just delay it, right? And so it opened a portal and kicked you into a whole other world where things work a little differently, and you find out that Doom has actually beat you there and has started corrupting this new world, and they've never even heard of Doom, they don't know what's going on, and you are the guy with the information, right? And so you show up, and so Thunderstone Advanced, the, very, the Towers of Ruin, the first one, was sort of that first, the first leg of that story. So Caverns of Bane follows on, you've defeated the first three Thunderstone Bearers, and you've moved on, followed the trail to find the next Thunderstone Bearers, who have gone underground. So there's a, a lost dwarven city, and then underneath that are the Halls of Black Flame, where the evil djinns who are corrupting the world have issued from. So, so the cards crank up a little bit, and the scene changes a little bit, and we advance the story, which will keep moving along into, into the next expansion, which will be coming out around November. So, but this is Caverns of Bane, and we're pretty proud of it. We think it's going gonna, it's gonna to add a lot to the game. And I noticed that for Caverns of Bane, there's a whole new implementation of treasures. Treasures, yes, yes, yes. So treasures before were fine, but we thought we could do them better. So we went back to the drawing board and how treasures work now. So previously, treasures worked in a way that whenever they came out of the dungeon deck, whoever's turn it was got them for free, right? So you've defeated a monster, and let's turn over, tre- let's turn over the next card. It looks like a treasure. Here you go. Here's a free treasure. It's that old D&D thing of 
whenever uh, you've defeated an orc and you find he had a plus two sword in his treasure hold and you wondered, why was he not using that sword on me? <laughs> he had it there the whole time. And so we have sort of put a, a, a bar on, on, the, on the text section of the card. Above the bar, that's what the monster is going to use on you. So the treasure will come out of the deck and then a, a next monster will come out on top of that. And so the monster is wielding the treasure against you, whatever the treasure is, right? And so above the bar is what the monster does to you if the monster is using the treasure. And in that case, it's just like that text appeared on the monster card, right? The monster is now just a little bit harder. But below the line is the ability you get once you've defeated the monster and gotten the treasure. And so for your troubles, for fighting a slightly harder monster, you also get more victory points because the treasure brings you more victory. Uh, so if you, if you risk bigger bigger threats, right? You get a bigger gain. Uh, and in addition, that treasure will then cycle through your deck. So previously, treasures just sort of sat out in front of you, and when you felt like using them, you just burned them, right? Okay, boom. The Ulbrich's Gauntlet's gone, right? This time, it becomes part of your deck and gives you abilities and, and is really quite a good card, right? You're sort of happy to see it. So uh, we've gotten a lot of positive response out of these treasures, and uh, I think they're going to be big hit. I also noticed that the there's a small selection of curses in Caverns of Bane that work a little bit differently. Uh, what what was the thought process behind that? Well, yeah, they do work a little differently. The, the thought process was sort of a story thing. So you've come to this new world, and you find that it's already been corrupted. But you don't actually even know the extent of the corruption that's been going on, right? You're, so you're fighting your way through the world, right? You're battling the evil that exists there. But you're, you're in a strange land, right? You don't know what's going on. So each set will add more danger, right, to the curses. Um, not, you know, not overwhelming, right? But we, we wanted to ramp it up a little bit. So we've added to, your, to, the, to the curse burden, uh, and you can probably see some more of that coming. Okay. Out of, Thunder, uh, out of Caverns of Bane, what card is a particular favorite of yours that you think is you know, nifty or oh, whoa! So, um, so I designed part of this set to be a little more naturey. So the new world that you're in is much more of a of a natural world, uh, and so many of the weapons have a have a sort of natural bent to them. So there's a couple of cards. One is called the Seed Bomb, right? And the idea is that it's a weapon, right? And it's uh, it's something that you can you can equip and use, but but like a like seeds, right? It will sprout new life. So the trick to it is that whenever you level up a hero, if you have one a seed bomb in your hand, you can use it to keep the hero that you're leveling up from. So if you're going from two to three, and your level two hero is pretty awesome, and your level three hero is even better, right? Normally, of course, you're going to level up, but with a seed bomb around, you can keep them both. So you you blow up the seed bomb, right? But it, it, it springs new life, so you, you, get to, you get to keep your heroes. I really, that is a fun weapon that does something that we hadn't quite done before. So I think that's really neat. On the other side, there's a, something called the Taproot Blade, um, <laughs> where the Taproot Blade just draws power out of things, right? And so it's a, it's a nice little, you know, you just you, you kill a card to power up your sword. It's a lot of fun. One, okay, all right, all right, all right, get a better one. Okay, so, so we love this one. We, we laughed in the design meeting when we realized what we'd done. So there's a card called Dwarven Ale. And I love the art for it because it shows two dwarves, like, not quite, they're not fighting over this big mug of ale, 
but they're both kind of watching the other guy and both kind of reaching for it. And, you know, who's going to be the first to get it? So Dwarven Ale gives your dwarves bonuses to fight. But there's a trophy, uh, or rather it gives, it gives all your heroes something to fight, right? It fortifies, right? You drink the ale, you're fortified to fight. But if there are dwarf heroes in your party, then the dwarves just drink it all. <laughs> and since it's a trophy, this is what we loved, right? Because we designed this and then didn't realize we'd done it. It's a trophy, so it will happen in the dungeon or the village, right? So when you've got no business fighting, the dwarves will still drink all the ale. <laughs> but you're in the village and you can't use it. <laughs> and we just loved that so much that we were like, okay, leave that in, right? So, so you have to be careful not to leave the dwarves alone with the ale when you go to the village. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. We're not even alone. I just, there's <laughs> right, just one there. All. You've got the five regulars cannot keep the dwarf away from the ale. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, now you mentioned the art on, on dwarven ale. Uh, one of the heroes in this is a, I'm probably even mispronouncing it, but it's a rapparee. Rapparee, yes. Rapparee. yes. Uh, so he, he's an elf thief. Right. Uh, and he, he gets bigger and he lets you buy stuff when you go to the dungeon, but. He looks like some sort of mutant with a giant head and rubbery arms. <laughs> but am I missing something about the art, or is it just... Um, is there just something wrong with him? Uh, well, I mean, so uh, that particular... So every set in, in, uh, in Thunderstone Advance, right, we're, we're sort of having... Uh, there have been mixed reviews to this. I don't know that we'll keep doing this. But, but for my amusement, anyway, if nothing else, uh, we've had sort of one hero who was a little a little bit more humorously illustrated than the others, right? And so generally we like to have, you know, pretty realistic fantasy art. But like in, in uh, Towers of Ruin, there was that bard, right, who was sort of rocking out, you know, with his loot, right? And so we wanted here, it's a little bit, it's a little bit abstract, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that he's like this uh, in-it-for-himself kind of thief guy, right? And so he's got a little weasel on his shoulder, and there's sort of a little bit of a fisheye lens look to the whole thing, right? Just to sort of, that's sort of how he views the world, right? He's out there for stuff, and he's more important. And, you know, we're just kind of trying to have some fun with it. So, The persistence of thievery, perhaps. <laughs> uh, on the, on the very end of the look, I noticed, if I'm not mistaken, that there, was, uh, there were some changes in, in graphics against tweaks. The, the village cards are now green instead of blue like They're the heroes. They're much greener now, aren't they? Yes. Um, right. Well, we wanted to... So we, we, the feedback that we got, right, when we released TS7 is a lot of people were like, oh, the, the green and blue are different? Like, they, people didn't even seem to understand, right? And if you sleeve them, it becomes even, even less distinguishable. And so people were saying, it's a little dark, we can't really tell. Uh, so we tried to lighten it up. Uh, we just tried to bring it up a little bit. and. Um, Mission accomplished, right? It's <laughs> they're very green and blue now. So we're happy with the the color. Some of the print job, I think, has has turned a little yellow. We'll certainly fix the the coloration problems in in reprints. For the most part, the frame colors is kind of where we were headed, and and it, what's you know the backs are still fine, right? The, you can't tell the difference in the backs at all, but. We are uh, we're moving forward with this, and um, the the color variation is noticeable, but not you know terrible, right? It's just yep, yep, that's green all right now, you know. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> now, as you mentioned, this is Caverns of Bane is the 
second Thunderstone Advance set after right. Towers of Ruin. And Towers of Ruin was, was something of a, of a reboot, obviously. That's why you've got the right. second title. You know, we at Strange Assembly really liked, and we've always liked Thunderstone, but we really liked the changes that were made for Thunderstone Advance. Right. Uh, how well have those been received in the broader gaming community? Oh, really well. Re- I mean, like, uh, it's... It, by almost any objective measure, it's an improvement, right? I mean, the, the game... The, the icons make the game more understandable. Uh, the clarifications of terminology, the just the, what I what I say to people about Thunderstone Advance is that it, it's the same game, but it just has a bunch of little tweaks, right? I mean, we it's it the game has not changed significantly, but has changed slightly a bunch of different ways, and the aggregate of that has made a significantly better game, right? And I think everyone recognizes that we're. Uh, oh, last time I looked at Board Game Geek, we were at like two twenty. I think in the, you know, in the board game ranking, which is fantastic for a game that hasn't been around that long, right? I mean, Dragonspire previously had climbed. I think it had gotten up to like 97 at some point, right? And so we seem to be on the same sort of ascent to to get back into the top hundred. And and um, if anybody out there wants to go into Board Game Geek and, and give us a high <laughs> rating, the, that would that would be awesome, right? Uh, I won't bribe you into it, but uh, it's a great game, and I I, I think you should rate it highly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and then like Dragonspire, this has the it has the experience token still, and right. and the board. I the board, the new board is just great. I know my I've played some Thunderstone with my my wife in the Dragonspire board. She's she still couldn't actually read from across the table the the numbers for the for the light and mm-hmm. and the darkness mm-hmm. penalties and all that. But it, there's no issues at, at all with that with the new board. Yeah, yeah. The new board is fantastic. Our our graphic designer did a really good job on it, and we're we're really happy with it. Okay, now I know you, Caverns of Bane just came out, yes. but I know that you guys also work further in advance than that. Is there anything you can say about what you're going to be doing with Thunderstone after Caverns of Bane? So what I want to say is that uh, not long after I started at AEG, I was at I was at BGGCon, and somebody came up to me. Uh, who was interested in Thunderstone and wanted to buy, right? And he said, so Heart of Doom uh, has just come out. He's like, what does this add to the game? And I said, uh, and I was relatively new to the company, right? And I was like, uh, well, it's got some more cards, right? And and I was I was struck at that moment, right? I was like, never again do I want to say that, right? Every set now has to do new things. So in Caverns of Bane, we brought treasures back in, right? So it's not, it's not just more cards. We've we've redesigned this section of the game and we've reintroduced it. And I will say that for the next expansion, it's called Root of Corruption. A little bit of exclusive there for you, Root of Corruption. Uh, <laughs> we add something pretty significant to the game. I won't spoil what that is yet, but if you like boards, then uh, you might like an aspect of uh, Root of Corruption. <laughs> so... We'll be talking more about that. Uh, everybody, tune in to the Thunderstone site, right? Because we'll we'll start cranking up and and doing little spoilers soon. But I'm really excited about Root of Corruption and what it brings to the game, and I think that it's going to add a lot. Okay, there are only so many treasures in the with Caverns of Bane, and so if you the rules give you the option of just choosing to add them in, if right. instead of just doing it randomly because they're not that likely to come up now, will we? 
see another new batch of treasures Seems with the next... likely, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured you, you assume, but you may as well ask. All right. Now, Caverns of Bane is for sale here at Gen Con. Do you know when it's going to hit retailers, or has it already? It sh- well, so we just did pre-release right before Gen Con, uh, so it should be with retailers now. Like, our official big launch right here at Gen Con, but if you were to listen to this podcast and rush down to your retailer, you could probably get it right now. So, I encourage you to. Very cool. Thanks for coming and talking to us, Jeff. <laughs> Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can download more episodes of Strange Assembly on iTunes or from our website at www.strangeassembly.com. While you're at our website, you can check out the frequently updated main page or talk with us on the forums. You can also email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com or you can follow Strange Assembly on Facebook or Twitter Strange assembly either place. Thanks for listening.